Everybody. Welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and this is my longtime podcasting partner, Scott Daly. Hey, Matt. It's so great that we've been loyal, just extremely loyal podcasting partners for so long. Oh, hang on. I just uh, I just got a phone notification. Oh, huh. a new podcast recommendation. How exciting. Look, Scott, don't look at that. Why not? What? Matt, are you? Do you have another podcast without me? Uh, no, you're the only podcaster for me. Then what's up with this link I just got, Matt? Who, who is Terrence, Matt? What the fuck is Toof Media, Matt? Uh, Master Stranger Protocols. Oh. Okay, this is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wild Bill's world of social media-induced breakups, creepy bartenders, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, Arc 13 continues with chapters 13.7 and 13.8. The investigation pauses as Victoria tries to deal with the death of Weld and Sveta's relationship. The shell-shocked Sveta decides to tag along with Victoria and Lisa as they head back to Earth-N, to chat with some mythological mob bosses. Matt, what did you think of these two chapters? Um, well, we, we got our uh, heart-rending, gut-punching, <laughs> nut-stomping uh, oh breakup chapter. All of those emotions, which are manifested as things that you do to the body for some reason. Um, and, then, <laughs> and, and then we got, and then we got like, the, the the a noir chapter another yet another detective chapter uh, where our 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 intrepid detectives uh, go and they talk to the mob bosses so just uh, we're gonna have a lot to talk about um, I I really enjoy these obviously yeah Victoria continuing to dive into the seedy underworld of Capedom mm-hmm. as uh, as she tries to investigate and and the thing that I like about this and I think we'll get into this is that. You know, Victoria has kind of been the backseat driver in this investigation so far. She's kind of like Tattletail's been really driving it and taking the lead with everything. But at the end of this chapter today, Victoria kind of reasserts herself as a key part of this whole investigation. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that's true, I guess. But by the end of it, like Tattletail's been taking the driver's seat because she's like going into the underworld and she's the villain. But yeah, but Victoria's a cop. That's the thing. <laughs> right, she, she right. Knows the, she knows about it. <clears throat> right. All right, so um, quick announcements before we get into the chapters. Uh, just a reminder, the quarterly fan art contest is now on. The theme is relationships. Entries are due Monday, May 27th by midnight Pacific. Uh, go ahead and check out doofmedia.com for more details if you want to enter that fan art contest. There's, there's prize, there's, there's, you know, prize money and, you know, the, the adulation of your peers and so forth, so... Yeah, we, uh, one of the things we're very thankful for is the fact that we can put on these competitions because of the generous support of our patrons. We use um, a fair amount of the patron money 
that we get every month to go towards putting on these things. So um, that's great. Um, the details of that will be in the show notes. So you can check out the show notes or head on over to doofmedia.com. You can see it there under the We've Got Ward section. It'll be there. Um, looking forward to seeing it. Can't wait. Can't yep. Wait. Yep. Always, always the best part of my quarter. <laughs> All right. Chapter 13.7. Uh, so after hearing that the shit is hitting the fan back at base, Victoria bails on Tattletail, leaving her with only a cryptic clue for absolutely no reason. Yeah, and and like, <laughs> are you laughing at yourself? I'm, I'm la- just laughing at the fact that she did that. Basically, oh, just yeah. like it's such a hilarious like moment. Uh, well, well, no, the the moment is when Tattletail shows up and she's like. I don't know what the fuck you expected me to do with that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's this wonderful moment where she's like, if Tattletail was smart, she'd figure it out. Yeah. Uh, she does eventually. But yeah, I mean, like, like we mentioned last week, Tattletail warned Victoria that if they split up, then she's not going to be 100% honest with her. She's not going to feel guilty about lying to her and bullshitting her and, and not giving her the full truth. Um, and and so I think we can assume at least a little bit that when those two characters get back together, there's going to be some bullshitting going on here. She kind of laid it out there for her. Yep, yep. But I, I think this also starts a trend throughout these couple chapters where we see, like, the characters are, like, starting to feel each other out in a way. Like, like we see here, she thinks, like, oh, She'll probably understand it. And then we see later Tattletale like, is, is honest and upfront about the limitations of her power, which is not something she does very often. So I feel like it's these characters kind of like starting to understand each other on a level that they hadn't quite before. And of course, to do that, you need to fuck up first. And that's exactly what happens here. Yeah, that's a good point. A, a lot of this chapter is focused on Sveta for obvious reasons. But I think Wildbo cleverly uses Sveta in a way to actually reveal more about Tattletale. And it's like, it's not a reveal to us, the reader, because I think we understand Tattletale on a certain level, but it is a reveal to, to Victoria. And I think that's important towards their continuing, uh, friendship, enemy ship. I don't know. It's somewhere in between those two. Yeah. Yeah. Grudging allyship or whatever. Right. right. Um, yeah. So as Victoria flies to the back to base, she ruminates on the recent happenings and as she's kind of ruminating, she has this thought to herself, what was my saying? Do what was right. Do what was legal. Do what I could do without regrets. And, yeah. and it's interesting because she's like forgotten what she's forgotten her thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, this is really interesting, right? Because yeah. this is this is her her mantra. This is something that she defined for herself all the way back in chapter two. Uh, 2.2 way way back at the beginning of the story this idea of follow the law if the law is not clear follow what feels right to you Um, if that's unclear reach out that was the most important that was like the hinge of the mantra right this reach out Mm -hmm. and that's not here that's gone that's removed from from the mantra this time And, and I thought like maybe reach out was was changed to do what you could do without regrets and I was like huh but upon you know reading back over over the times that this mantra was used in the past doing living without regrets was like the overall goal of the whole thing, right? Like this idea of um, following the law or feeling what's right or reaching out was a way to live without regrets was a way to make choices without feeling regret around the choices. Um, So that's still true. That's still a truism of the mantra that she's saying here, but it is interesting that that, that reach out point is, is gone. It's gone. 
Yeah, right. I mean, I, I think we commented quite a while ago at, at the fact that even like do what is legal sort of vanished from her vocabulary right. at a certain point when like the government is now run by a villain and and the law is extremely uh, hazy about certain things and yeah. things are kind of falling apart. And, and now now just like more and more planks of her system of how, you know, basically her moral compass are disintegrating and she doesn't have a good, a good fallback. You know, she's, she's left with only basically, well, what, what do I feel is the best choice in this moment based on my, my own personal feelings, which is, you know, you can do worse, but it's the whole point of it was that it's risky to live that way. Yeah. And I think, you know, when, when we're looking at the context here, we're looking at what she's talking about specifically to the mantra. It's like she's trying to get a handle on who big picture is like she's trying to get a handle on who this person is and where to slot him in her in her this this hierarchy of badness or, or trying to understand him on a level. And she admits, I'm not good at that. People are complicated. Getting into this morass is very gray and I'm not very good at that. And my mantra is failing me here. Um, but I like I want to talk about specifically why maybe that that last part was dropped off because I think it's pretty interesting. I mean, I think on, on some level there's a very obvious, um, who am I going to go to? Right? Like I can't go to, I can't reach out to Sveta right now because I'm literally zooming back to help her with something. I can't like dump on her, especially about big picture, which is someone that Sveta already has very clear opinions on. Um, the rest of her team, she's on unsteady, unshaky ground with right now because of this whole diary thing. She can't go to Jessica who can she go to? So on some level, it's like it's tough to reach out to someone when there's nobody there to help. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, the 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 whole fact of the, you know, the surgical torpedoing of her relationship with the team has definitely undermined her. And, and then um, her, you know, her family uh, went away yeah. to Shin and so not, not that she had the best relationship with her mom and dad, but no, I mean, I mean, it, with her dad, it was all right. Um, like we, I'm, I'm not sure where Crystal is exactly in, in the, in the, in the scheme of things right I at bet, this moment. I bet Tattletail knows. Yeah. Yeah. True. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I was just trying to account for like, it seems like all of her, her connections are being, are being stripped away. So yeah. <clears throat> yeah. There's also something I think a little bit more interesting about that, though, is I always saw this and maybe this is me reading too much into the text, but I always saw the reach out portion of her mantra as being the most heavily Jessica Yamada uh, inspired Mm. part. Right. Like that this idea like Jessica is very much part of Jessica's therapy is this idea of reaching out and contact communication. Like that's part of the reason why the group, the whole, the idea of group therapy besides the necessity of it. Um, but the idea of it as a, a meaningful thing. So, I mean, I wonder if the reason why she's kind of silently dropped this point, this part of her whole deal off is because of this confused, complex relationship with Jessica that like, this is something she learned through her interactions with Jessica, the importance of reaching out. And now she doesn't know what to think anymore because her and Jessica, she doesn't know what to think about her. Like she, she's, it's a very confused, complex relationship right now. That's really interesting. Cause I don't remember any specific implication that she got that from Jessica, but I do completely agree that it feels very yeah. therapy influenced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But I mean, but the, the point is either way, wherever, wherever the, the reason to drop that point of her mantra comes from, 
it fails her. It doesn't it doesn't provide her. She, it, she's she's trying to do this thing to avoid regrets and all she feels is regrets. And I, I think to exemplify this, the book says this really wonderful thing with with the the environment again. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it says that she's cold. She's freezing cold. Even got to me, though I had the wretch up a creeping loss of warmth inside me as the environment eroded at my stores of energy like that, just like the, the world is like even her shield, even her shield from the cold is not enough anymore. And it's just beating down at her both literally and, and, you know, metaphorically. And I think that's just wonderful imagery as she zooms quickly towards what she knows is going to be a disaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that parallel really quite a lot, actually. Um, so I, I, I love this bit. It, it's, you know, it's not, it's not really a bit, it's something that she does a lot, right? She, she's flying, we have we have this pretty frequently with Victoria where she's flying through the city and she's kind of just taking stock of the, of the things around her and in this case she she takes stock of Kronos the 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 titan you know the the dauntless titan as they call it yeah and and then she sees food lines wrapped around the block below um of just people you know huddling in the cold trying to get food and it's been this you know this refrain the whole book where because she's a flyer, we get these perspectives on the city where, you know, it's like at the start of the story, you got the golden city, it's under construction. Um, you know, maybe parts of it are, are, are being built that aren't being used. And then we get the, the disaster with the portals. And now you've got these planes of, of weird skies cutting through the sky of the city. And now uh, one thing I thought was interesting is like, she doesn't even mention the portals anymore. Those are, those are normal to her now. And now the most recent, you know, uh, the most recent disaster, the, the Kronos Titan and, and the food lines are the things she notices. And it's like, if you kind of like continue to, to, to add layers to your mental picture of the city, it's, it's kind of crazy, right? It's, you've got yeah. like the sky is all fucked up from, from Kronos and from the portals and, uh, you know, winter is, is setting on and, the, the wind is constantly blowing between the portals still, presumably. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, now you've got food lines. Great. This is great. Yeah. And I really like this. I, I think you, you mentioned that, that she does this a lot and, yeah. and I agree. And it's, it's a very useful narrative tool because I think a lot of this book is, is very, um, street focused kind of because Victoria is very like on the streets, like beat cop kind of focused, but we do get moments every so often where we need to like expand the scope again and then and catch the readers up on what is happening citywide or <laughs> universe wide. Um, and so we do have these moments where Victoria basically does that for us. And that's what this is. You know, we had our big end of the last arc when Kronos appeared and there's this whole new threat that we don't know about and we don't know what's going to go down with that. But then we kind of zoomed our story in to speak, to talk about this specific problem Victoria was having the, the fake diary and the investigation around that is a very kind of zoomed in specific problem. And the scope of that problem is slowly, you know, going up and raising and, and opening up as, as the investigation continues, but this is a great moment to kind of stop and catch us up on what's been going on. And yeah, we see things are good. Mm-hmm. There's people burning construction materials for warmth, like the symbol of building and constructing and improving <laughs> is being burnt to stay warm. Uh-huh. Um, there are food lines already. Victoria says the worst part of winter isn't even here yet. And there are already food lines. Um, and, and it's, it's just, it's very pessimistic. It's a very pessimistic output. Uh, outlook on everything that's going down here especially 
She finishes up this whole observation with last winter had been something we've collectively endured with a mindset that we could get through the difficult patches. And if we could make it through thing, if, if we could make it through, things would be OK. This winter, the Titan loomed on horizon and the portal shattered the sky. This winter, we had someone to blame. And so it's like it's just like everyone's kind of given up on the idea of things getting better. Victoria is almost kind of given up on the idea of things getting better. And she can see on that horizon, not only the portals, not only Kronos, but she can see the anger and the resentment and how it's going to boil over before this winter's over. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, so she finally arrives back at the base and I really love this moment of confusion as she arrives on the scene because it carries a lot of tension. And it was funny. I, I had to like sit back while I was taking the notes and think about what it was like to read this for the first time rather than, you know, the, the reread, because when you're just coming upon it, you kind of assume the, the worst the yeah. st- stuff like rain is on the ground, leaning against Tristan and Byron's car. I was like, Oh my God, Oh my God. Rain's rain's been horribly. <laughs> is he injured. dead? Is he dead? Yeah. Is he dead? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, no, he's just like resting, but, <laughs> but, right. but yeah, no, I mean, there's lots of details where, where you're, you're kind of just painting this mental picture. You don't know what anything means. So you're really catching up with Victoria, um, and assuming the worst, um, and even even after Victoria gets inside the building, you know, past past Ashley, who, you know, you're not quite sure what's going on with Ashley either. After she gets inside the building, she sees how miserable Sveta and Weld are. And you're like, OK, this is something to do with the breakup thing. But it's yeah. not like that really clears things up either, because you're like, how bad, how, how bad is it? What happened? What was said? Where are we in this process? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I really agree with that. And I, I think the the rain leaning on the ground against the car was the most effective to me too, because even after you figured out, it's like, Oh, he's not hurt. Nobody's hurt. It's still like, he's so like blown over and shell shocked by this whole thing that's happening that he's just like, he can't even stand up anymore. He's just like, it's like, Oh God. Yeah. And the ground's probably pretty cold. It's winter time. So he's like, sitting, you know, I, I yeah. think it's, it's a great image, but yeah, I, I, I love this opening scene. I love Ashley standing in the doorway. She's basically demanding to be let in or to wait for Victoria or to call someone, any of these things. And I, I think that's very interesting because moments before Victoria recited her mantra and left out the reach out part. And it seems like what Ashley is doing right now is kind of telling Sveta reach out, yeah. reach out to me. Wait for Victoria. Reach out to Victoria. Get her to help. We'll call someone. Uh, Yamada, maybe Armstrong. Let let's let's reach out to someone. Don't don't deal with this alone. And I think it's very it's very um, great to kind of see the fact that Victoria is in a place where she feels like that is not something she's able to do anymore. But we have Swan Song here doing it. Yeah, that's really interesting. And and now that you frame it that way, it seems like Ashley has basically has already come to the right conclusion. It's a conclusion that Victoria takes another five minutes to come to, which is like, oh, they're, they're just stuck. They're just stuck yeah, in like a yeah. cycle, a lot, like, a, like a bitter accusation cycle, and, and it's not going anywhere. And Ashley's kind of trying to terminate it, and then she's just like, whatever, and she hands it off to Victoria because she knows mm-hmm. Victoria's closer um, to, to Sveta. Right, right. Yeah, that, that's cool, yeah. I, yeah, I, of course, we get the first beat of uh, her calling Sveta, her cousin, which yeah. I, I think we'll talk, we'll circle back around to by the end of the chapter, but I think that's very interesting and worth pointing out. Yeah, yeah. Ashley's doing a lot of really interesting stuff. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's in the background, but I, I do like to focus on Ashley in this chapter. Mm-hmm. So we've got important kind of subtle line.txt here. Uh, <laughs> Ashley, uh, sorry, Sveta's speaking. 
Ashley Swan Song, I, I said nobody. Jessica's not even doing therapy anymore. She's not caught up. It would be too much to ask. So that's something I definitely skimmed over the first time. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that's a pretty is there's a lot of questions around that, right? Like, yeah. was that by choice? Is she is she getting out of the game? Is she so upset with her failure to see in Victoria what their claims to be that she's just like, I'm actually bad at this. Like, this is a disaster. What was this? Is she doing something else? Is she doing some other work for the wardens? I don't know. It's like it's kind of an unknown. But yeah, she's not Jessica Yamada, uh, cape therapist, no longer. Yeah, yeah, I know it. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, it, for me, it immediately popped to my mind like maybe she she realizes something is up, and so she's like recusing herself for a while 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 she sorts herself out. Yeah, or, or maybe you know maybe she's kind of messed up from her her recent ordeal. Yeah, uh, one of the things. Thought. One of the things that we do not have any window into is like the traumatic experience that that must have been on her. Um, you know, we've we've the, the context we've seen her in since she came back was all about Victoria. We haven't seen just like how she's doing. Although if you think about it, maybe how she's reacting to this and the ways in which she screwed up big time is a reflection of how she is doing with her, her traumatic, you know, lost and God knows where experience. Mm. True. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I, I think we'll figure out eventually. I mean, it's definitely being set up as like a mystery, right? It's not. Yeah. It's not a. <laughs> and then we never heard of Jessica Yamada again. Absolutely not. Yeah. No. Yeah. So we learn that the inciting incident of this kerfuffle was Sveta noticing pictures of a sexy heroine, Slicean. I'm gonna say it that way. Yeah. Putting the moves on Weld on social media, all very suggestive photos, borderline stuff that could be explained away. But when you look at all of it together, it adds up to paint a certain picture. Yeah. And I think the fun thing about this is um, we were in Narwhal's head for a portion of a chapter. And we know that the picture that is being painted here is not entirely inaccurate. Right. Um, We know that Weld had a thing for Slicean. We know that she noticed it and tried to put the moves on him. According to Narwhal, he turned her down. But there was definitely some clear mutual attraction going on there that Sveta picked up from the pictures. Now, whether or not uh, they were tampered with or or doctored in some way um, remains unknown, but, uh, but I, I just think that's very interesting. Yeah. Right. We don't know if the pictures are doctored, but, but like Victoria makes the minor point that like even the, even the social media invite, which was apparently the linchpin of all this could have been, engineered and maybe the pictures are real but it was the timing of the social media invite or the timing of sveta seeing the invite that that led to this happening when it happened yeah so and it's interesting because we've we're getting all this evidence like this could be manipulation right we don't know for sure yet but it could be um and we're getting all this evidence piling up and like the funny thing is we look at this and this could be totally legit or it could be manipulation. The only one we're 100 percent sure is manipulation is Victoria's. And the only reason we're 100 percent sure it's Victoria's is because we have the luxury of being in her head. Right. Yeah. So it's just it's just it's just great that like there's plausible deniability for every single one of these things. And the only reason there isn't for the only reason we can say, well, there isn't for Victoria is specifically because we are reading the story from her point of view. So like from any other point of view, I think people would be doing the same as they're doing with this, doing with Ratcatcher, doing with big picture is just like, well, that could have been 
I don't, I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. like I, mm-hmm. I think, I think that's just a great way to construct this whole thing. Yeah. 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 I love that. The, the, what, what's the word? The paranoia is great. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, so <clears throat> I'm not going to go through every back and forth of this breakup scene because <sighs> it's just Thank brutal, <laughs> it's brutal, but, um, I mean, it'll be familiar to any human being who has been through a breakup or sat next to a particularly colorful one at a restaurant <laughs> or et cetera. Um, but I think Wild Bo really nails this, frankly, like, like especially Sveta's attitude towards it, her just needing to know what the reason for it is and not being able to accept the reasons he's giving and basically insisting like, no, the real reason is it, it's, it's all in the textual silence. It's in the thing you're not saying it's yeah. because of my body. And I, I mean, it just, it's so, so it's so realistic and, um, you know, obviously effective. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know if Wild Bo has ever gone through a rough breakup or not before. Or this is just an estimation of what people talk like, but I Se- think seems accurate to me. It's super accurate. I mean, there, yeah. like there is like, it's not just the, the way the words are said, or it's not just the words that are said. It's the way they're said. It's how they're said. It's, 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 it's the cycling the around in circles, right? It's, it's all so on point. It's yeah. all so accurate. I, I wish I did not have very right. real experiences to, to connect to this this writing but it's there i mean it is absolutely how people act in the midst of a huge fight that leads to a breakup the things that you do like you have weld this guy he's the guilty party in this technically um and he didn't want to hurt anyone but but he did Mm -hmm. and he doesn't know what to do he can't tell her the real truth and he doesn't want to be the bad guy but he kind of is. And he, and he just has no idea what to do. We have the hurt one. She's mad at Weld, but she's more mad at herself. And she has these kind of constant swings of self-deprecation, which is such a realistic thing. If you're getting dumped, like for some reason, for some reason, the way the brain works is, oh, this person hates me now. I guess I'll hate me, too. Yeah, because that'll make it better. Right. I am the worst. Let me catalog right. the ways. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what you do. You just start taking swings at yourself. You just start beating the shit out of yourself too, as if that's going to just make it better. And that's exactly what she does here. Does here. And it's so heartbreaking to see because Sveta was always the glass half full one, right? Remember we talked about her relentless optimism, that that discussion that her and Victoria had at the very beginning of the book about this idea that it's going to get better. Things are going to get better. And this has kind of just ripped that they ripped that out of her. That's mm-hmm. gone. Um, and then, of yeah. course, there's Victoria, who's the, the friend in the middle of all this, who's just like, I don't want to take sides. But like, I do I do know the truth because like I know the real reason and it's exactly the reason that Sveta thinks it is. But I can't do anything with that information. Right. And, and so she's like stuck in the middle. It, uh, it's right. rough. Yeah, I mean, I think both Victoria and Sve- and um, and Weld are are almost united in the sense where they're they're both like she doesn't need to know, right, right, and 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 even Weld, like I almost wonder, like I don't know, maybe this is a projected life experience, but I wonder if if Weld at this point has convinced himself that that's not even like the whole reason why, and it's complicated. It might be, yeah, that's because that's one thing that happens. In breakups is, yeah. is is like I don't this we were we were joking about this on the Discord the other day and and just like I said something like I don't think people have I don't think people are are aware enough of their own feelings to be able to responsibly communicate them yeah which 
which I said as, as a tongue in cheek joke. And then like the more I thought about it, I was like, that's, I mean, basically in any breakup there, the, the, the feelings are so charged that the odds that you're actually going to be able to accurately communicate quote unquote, why right. you're breaking up with the person or, or it, it really anything along those lines, it, it, you don't you don't work that way. You don't have access to that information in that moment. Yeah, I mean, it's complicated. It's multi-layered, And like that's the that's the the issue with a breakup is one person wants out and they might have an idea of why, but not a concrete one. And that's all the other person wants. All the other person wants is the why. Tell me why. Tell me why. So I know. And a lot of times you just can't give that to a person. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the terrible, awful things about breakups is the way that that's just true. And I, I, I just like we've been talking about the writing in the section and how realistic it is. I just want to talk about like, not just the dialogue, like the imagery. Like I love that Sveta's cheeks had been marred both by tears that weren't clear, but were shot through with black. And because makeup had been used to give her more visible skin tone had been wiped away. Her tattoo on her cheek was plainly visible. I just love this, this idea of she's crying and we'll find out later. She's crying bile as it's not just tears. She cried out all her tears and now she's crying bile as well. And it's this like, heartbreakingly specific and strong imagery that like on top of the real, the realism of the dialogue just like gets you tonally right where you need to be, which is devastated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I love that. Uh, um, You know, you already mentioned the line, but it's black, black makeup on white skin, you know, to, to kind of emphasize the arc theme so far. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, so I want to spend a little bit of time with you though, on like what Sveta's doing here. Cause we talked about being self-deprecating and that's absolutely something you do, but she's doing something that I think you tend to do when you're being dumped as well, which is a uh, go to the extreme with everything to a point where you're, you're not actually accurate anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of that, like we see here that she basically says, I don't get anything. Weld gets everything. I get nothing. Mm -hmm. And we know for a fact that that's not true because she's got family. She's got Victoria is right here for her, right? Victoria, this person who cares for her unquestioningly. Um, She says she doesn't get Armstrong, which is their like surrogate father that adopted them. But we learn in this chapter, something that Sveta does not know is that the body that she had was paid mostly through Armstrong's pocket. He's dished a lot of money for that body that she had. So obviously he cares for her a great deal. You don't spend that kind of money on someone if you don't care for them a great deal. Mm -hmm. Um, At some point she starts ranting about how she doesn't even have a community in the case 53s because all the case 53s hate us. They said they hate us, you know, actually want us to die. Hate. I don't get that. I don't get I don't have that community, but weld, he was famous once. He's popular. More of them hate me than him. How's that fair? And that's that's true. That's absolutely true that that's not fair. And that's what Victoria says. It's not fair. But also, like, they hate both of them. Right. They do. Like, yes, yes, Victoria, Sveta, it's not fair that you don't get that community. But he doesn't really have that either. Yeah, a few of them like him more than they like you. But you lumped him in in the want us to die hate. So it's like, oh, they want him to die a little bit less. Hooray. Yeah. Like and, and this is the kind of like illogical attacking and quibbling you do when you're when you're under this kind of emotion where you just start speaking in polar extremes and you're not actually right anymore. Yeah, it's a, it's it's reminiscent of catastrophizing. I don't know if that's quite the right word for this, but yeah, it's basically just 
the 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 glass is half full sveta anchoring on to like what is the what is every way in which this situation is bad for me and and unfair toward me and and I can hate Weld for this. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Which I mean, like, I don't want to say that she's wrong in doing that. I mean, she is. Oh, but but it's a, it's such a very understandable yeah. reaction, right? It's right. it's so human. Yes, you and I aren't aren't um, taking turns dunking on Sveta. This is no. just this is just how this is just what it this is realistic person being dumped behavior. Yep, um, absolutely y- universal. Yep. Um, yeah. Anyway, so. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I've said in my life, I'm never going to find anyone else ever. I don't get, Mm -hmm. I don't get to be happy. Like that's the kind of thing you say to yourself in these cases. Yeah. Right. Um, so then, yeah, finally Victoria mentions that the pictures might've been doctored and explains the whole character assassination plot that's going on, but none of it really makes a difference to the situation that's happening right now. Yeah. That's, that's. That's the great, the brilliant part of this vast conspiracy. If this is part of that vast conspiracy, right? Is that even if the reason this stuff comes out is faked, that there is a kernel of truth behind it, and all that needed to be there was that kernel of truth. It doesn't change anything. Yes, the reason Sveta now knows about how Weld is feeling is be, is possibly because of this manipulation conspiracy thing, but. His, the way he's feeling remains the same. Mm-hmm. So it's it's brilliantly evil what's going on here. And I wonder if that lends credence to the idea that there might be more truth behind some of the writing than um, Victoria gave credit for. Right. Like the thing she was worried about that, like it's 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 a lens on her feelings, but there is some truth behind some of those feelings. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's interesting. I mean, it, it also you know, like like. When you frame it that way, it, it kind of makes me suspect that the pictures weren't doctored either. But it's interesting to me that it, like, it seems like Sveta being uncertain about whether the pictures were doctored is almost worse than just knowing that Weld has somebody putting the moves on him. Cause, yeah, that's true. Because then it's like, oh, great. Now it's, a, now it's an uncertainty. And when there's uncertainty, the brain just loves to just rehash that endlessly. Whereas if it's certain but bad... Well, that's just something that you can come to grips with eventually. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So. So I yeah, so I'm going to quote kind of a big block of this, actually. <laughs> the, the worst part. The worst part. Yeah. Then what is it? Sveta asked. Tell me you've changed and tell me how. And, and OK, that's going to break my heart. But OK, I can get over that. Tell me I did something wrong, something unfixable. I can get over that. Tell me I depended too much on you and you see me as a little sister more than a girlfriend that you, that you don't see yourself ever getting over that and seeing me as a girlfriend again. I, I can, I can accept that. I looked away, blinking tears of my own out of my eyes. The implication in Sveta's statements was that these options were good because she could come to terms with them. The flip side being she couldn't accept or come to terms with the reality. Um, and, and we've kind of circled around this point that I wanted to make, which, which is that like, um, is it so unreasonable for Weld to want to look like a good guy here? Like sometimes things just don't work out between people, right? Does there always have to be like a reason for the breakup in, in paragraph form, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think there's two different things here, right? And I think we need to separate the two different things before we talk about this because there's lying 
or hiding your doubts about the relationship, which is something that Victoria kind of encouraged him to do, at least temporarily when he first came to her with this is like, don't bring this up yet. Give us some time. Um, and then there's lying about the, the, the real reason behind the doubts, right? Those mm-hmm. are two different things. And I think the text here is showing that the former was a bad call, that, that lying about um, the fact that you're having doubts, hiding that from your significant other is bad because it's going to come out eventually and it's going to be way worse than, than if you were just communicated and talked through those issues as a couple. The latter, I don't know. I, I think, I mean, the, the, the honest short answer is no, you don't like relationships are like at will employment, right? right? You can quit anytime you want. Like you, you have the ability to quit anytime you want. Um, and, and I think you owe the person an explanation, but do you owe them, like you said, the complexity of, of what the full explanation is sometimes you might not even have a handle on like, I, I don't, I don't know what good it does at this point to be like, yep, it's cause of your body. Right. And yeah. it's not, it's not even that like, it's not like, I think she, she, she attacks him for wanting to be the good guy here. And I, I that's not entirely false. I don't think, but it's also like, I don't want to hurt you. Like, like right. it's like, it's like, I understand that I have to hurt you in some way, but I don't want to, I don't want to like, like backhoe you right like yeah i I don't know i don't know it's complicated well like from weld's perspective it's like well what's the alternative like just pretending that um i don't want to break up right like like it i didn't because from Weld's perspective he's like i didn't choose to feel this way you know this this, the the thing is i feel like i've been on both sides of this divide it's at different points in my life so i'm 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 like sympathetic and empathetic to both to both people but sure yeah i mean definitely sucks and is realistic on both sides like it's realistic weld would behave this way and i i can't really hold it too much against him it's realistic sveta would behave this way and i can't really hold it too much against her it just sucks this is what happens between people and it's great writing this is sometimes just what happens i i think the thing that we need to do now is, okay, yes, Weld, um, you, you can't fault him for feeling a certain way. He can't help the way he feels. But now that this is out in the open, now that the, th- the way he feels and the complications of this relationship are out in the open, he's got to make up his mind, right? Mm-hmm. Because like right. we had this whole part where he says, I don't want to dump you. And she said, well, what do you want? And that's, that's what he has to figure out because mm-hmm. he, he's in this place when he went to Victoria, he was in this place where he's like, I'm having these doubts. I'm having these feelings. I think, I think I really, what I need, what I need as a person, I think is I need someone with, with a body. Like that is something I'm attracted to. I need something I'm attracted to. And I'm pretty sure I do, but I don't know. I really care for her. I really like her. I enjoy being with her, but I think I need this other thing. And I think my need of this other thing is going to be so great that it outweighs the benefit of all this stuff. But he was torn. He was in the middle. And I, we see here now, I don't know how many weeks it's been since that initial conversation, maybe four. Um, we know he didn't wait the full six, right? Cause she like, like glares at him and thinks that, but so maybe let's say a month's gone by a month of the six weeks and he seems no closer to making up his mind. Well, now he doesn't get the luxury of, of making up his mind anymore now. Right? Like she knows when it starts being cruel and I start, and I start not understanding Weld, but blaming Weld is if he stretches on this confusing moment right now mm-hmm. into the future, because like now the situation, you got to make up your mind, dude, you've got to decide you cannot string this woman a- around like this. It's cruel. 
and it hurts. It makes it hurt even more. So this is the point where if Will doesn't doesn't make a choice here, decide what he wants that. Yeah, I'm going to be like, fuck this guy. I'm right. not I mean, quite there yet, but I can't be very quickly. Yeah, because I mean, we don't like the way this scene ends is not with a. OK, we're we're broken up now. Right. Right. It's a it's a OK, this was a this was a huge fight. A lot of really painful stuff was aired. Um, and maybe Weld doesn't want to be with her anymore, but maybe he kind of does. We're not sure. And she's not sure. And OK, we got to go. We got to go now. Got to make up your mind, dude. Um, and, and yeah, so like the the lack of closure to the scene is actually, I mean, again, kind of a realistic way that breakups go sometimes. But it just le- it leaves Sveta in almost a worse place where now now well is going to go off and flagellate himself and then maybe be like, oh, no, I'm such a piece of shit. I should I should go back to her. And then like but like basically deluding himself and he shouldn't actually. And yeah, just a whole mess. Just so you but, know, this uh, this is basically a conversation my sister-in-law had with her boyfriend not too long uh-huh. ago. And then she woke up the next morning and he had uh, changed his relationship status on Facebook. So <laughs> imagine if that were to happen. Uh, uh, that's the most fucked up thing you can do. Don't do that, Weld. Don't be yeah. like that guy. That's um. it's terrible. That's sh- that's that's shitty. Yes. Yeah, it's super shitty. Uh, but. Victoria pulls the plug. She aborts. She says, Master Stranger Protocols, y'all. That's it. <laughs> You're done breaking up. And Sveta doesn't like that at all. And is pretty pissed. But Weld is like, oh, thank God. There's, a, there's an emergency. Thank Christ. Um, and, um, yeah. I love it because it's like, they're not just magic words. You can't just say them. And, and Victoria's like, uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah, the <laughs> That's car. the point of them. Uh, hey, Matt. Mm-hmm. Did you eat the last cookie? Uh, Master Stranger Protocols. Oh, great. That's yeah. fine. It's yeah. it's great. I, I'm going to use this on my wife. I said this on Twitter. I'm going to see if this works. <laughs> Next time we're fighting. It's gonna yeah. Lay them out there. See what uh, happens. You should establish them first, though. <laughs> and then oh, she's yeah, like, why true. are you, what are you talking about? Uh, it, it'll be clear later. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you feel about Victoria's decision to forcibly end this conversation? Right. I, I think you're right that, that they were just circling around. But also in the back of my mind, I was like, no, make Weld fucking make a decision. Don't give him an out. He's the one that wants the out right now. Um, I don't know. I I couldn't hold. I mean, they are like in the middle of, of, of crisis, basically. It's true. And I, yeah, I didn't think this was a, a, a bad call because I don't think I don't think I don't think Weld would have made that call. Like, I don't think he would have. I don't think anything Victoria any I don't think Victoria could have said anything that would have been like the right thing to say yeah, but right, then, right like so but then I could call him a jerk. <laughs> this way he gets out of me calling him a jerk. Yeah. I'm not, I mean, I'm not happy about that. I mean I feel like if she hadn't said this then it would have just gone on for like 45 more minutes and and then nothing would have been accomplished and yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean probably, but Yeah. So I want to call him a jerk. You can call him a jerk. That's fine. I can't yet. I feel like I can't because I've been on his side of this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. So, yep, Sveta goes to wash her face because she's crying bile, which is like as if she wasn't already upset enough with her body today. I know. It's like that's just a perfect way to to add insult to injury, right? It's like my boyfriend's breaking up with me because I'm a monster. And oh, also I'm crying bile. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's a moment in the, we didn't pull the text, but there's a moment in where like, uh, 
Victoria is like trying to calm her and she's standing next to her and, and she's not making a sound, but like she says something to the effect of like, I could hear the, the, the fluids pulse through her organs, which are located around her shoulder. Right. And it's just this like moment of in the middle of this conversation about Noah, it's not cause you're a monster. Like this, this moment where the text kind of reminds you that, that her whole thing is very, very different. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, the fact that she can cry bile and, I'm pretty sure that humans can't do that normally. Yeah. I mean, if if you could run out of tears and cry bile, I'm pretty sure it would have happened to me during <laughs> Avengers Endgame. Um, and so since that didn't happen, I'm, I'm guessing we can't. Right, right. Good point. Um, so Kinsey then pipes in, and the text does it interestingly, where the text doesn't actually announce that it's Kinsey for um, a couple, a couple uh, back and forth lines. But anyway, she admits that she's been listening to the whole thing, and then she admits that she read the diary weeks ago. <laughs> and then in a minute, she admits that she has cameras in the bathroom because she knows that Sveta's about to leave before Sveta actually starts to leave. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't um, actually admit that she has cameras in the bathroom. She just says, Sveta's about to be done in the bathroom. I'll see you later. And then a second later, Sveta opens the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is just like... Uh, oh, oh yeah, god yeah concerned oh, oh god yeah I, it's just like cameras everywhere right like we have yeah. to i don't even know where they are we have to just imagine they're everywhere well, probably just, everyone I, has a personal one attached to their body well, yeah, yeah we don't even i mean I, I just remember when victoria was in her house and she looked at the there was like the flat featureless face of a cabinet that victoria was staring at and there was clearly a camera in it somehow yeah like that's got to be everywhere in their, well, she's in their base. Given, she's given them all things for their masks, right? Like, yeah. So yeah. I just kind of assume that every single one of those things she's given them also has a camera in it. Yeah. Good point. Good cool. Point. Um, so the diary, she's read the diary. She thinks it's, she thinks it's fine. You know, Oh, I didn't realize adults thought that way, but okay. I can get my head around that. Yeah. That's it's bad. It's real bad, Matt. Yeah. Um, like, I think we talked about this last week that I thought like that I th the, the admission that Chris is still one of the people she talks about a lot was maybe uh, starting to trend towards the idea that if she found out about the diary, she might be a lot more sympathetic towards it than I think when we originally talking about it, we said she would. Right. Like, I think when we originally read the first time we read the diary, we were like, oh, crap, this is going to be real bad for Kenzie. And then we were reminded about how she refuses to turn her back on any on Chris any way shape or form and we were like oh maybe she'll be uh much more much more receptive to it and this is like the worst the worst possible outcome down that train of thought right yeah this idea that i kind of thought that's how adults think and do things not fun but it made a lot of sense <laughs> that's yeah terrible <laughs> that's terrible yeah not 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 fun in, in kinsey language reminds me of like so embarrassing yeah exactly um, yeah, you know, it's funny. It seems like every reader has their own personal Kinsey barometer where things will will make them feel very worried. And and sometimes I'll just be like, no, nah, I think she's fine. Like, I think she's on the man. I think she's getting better. But this is one of those chapters where I was just like, oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. And I think we were kind of primed with that last chapter right like, yeah. like we we didn't have a full scope of how bad things were going to get. But we have these moments where Tattletail is like takes like really mean swipes at Kenzie to Victoria. And we're like, what the fuck? That's not. Yeah. But now maybe we kind of understand why, like, like 
how much of her last her actions the last three weeks need to be reframed around this new understanding that she has that this is how people do things. And I want to be an adult like my friends who are adults. So this is how I'm going to do things, too. How 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 much is she manipulating Darlene? How much is she manipulating Chicken Little? How much is she doing this to all the people around her because she thinks it's the thing that she's supposed to do now? Yeah, right. And I, I mean, I, I still I still think the Telltale's power is telling her like the worst things about people. Oh, absolutely. And, and yeah. Not giving her a fair a fair look. But but that we, that doesn't mean we should dismiss that when she's really concerned about Kenzie, her power is not lying to her. It's telling her stuff that's really there. It's just not making Kenzie out into being a three dimensional human being. So, yeah. And 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 we get this part here, which I think is the worst part. But if it was you, it, it'd be OK. You had my back when I counted and you have it now. You could do or say whatever and I'd be okay with it, I think. Unless you actually win or hurt and hurt Ashley or anyone else, then we'd have to talk seriously about it. So this is, I think this is terrifying. I mean, like, yeah. and and part of me, think here's this thing and it's like, so no, she has people on her list that it doesn't matter what they do. You can do anything and I will have your back. I will support you. I will help you. It doesn't matter. And like we know Chris is out there. We know Chris is lab rat. We know Chris is doing something. What if Chris comes back? What if Chris comes back as an enemy? Yeah. yeah. And, and our team has to try to stop him. What is she going to do? Right. Yeah. I mean, I want, I wonder if he, he, he might even know that he could just like reach out to her right. on a one-on-one -on -one basis and yeah. just be like, Hey, um, I need you to help me now. Lab rat, um, has been shown in the past to like to, to, to push on people's buttons a little bit. He did it to Amy. Yeah. Uh, he knows he can do it to Kenzie. Yeah. How's yeah. that going to go? I don't know. It's definitely, it's definitely out there somewhere as a possibility. Mm -hmm. So let's talk for a little bit more about how great Ashley is here. Okay. Because like, so I feel like all the tension between her and Sveta has kind of um, diminished in the background. Like at some point, I feel like Ashley just committed to being Sveta's friend, even if Sveta was maybe not entirely on team Ashley. Yeah. And I feel like now Sveta has been largely won over. Um, I mean, here's Ashley giving up her beds for Sveta and, and saying she's basically family. Yeah, it's hard to believe. Um, it wasn't too long ago that we were like, oh, my God, are these two going to come to blows over yeah. something? And maybe that was maybe more sveta focused than it was ashley because sveta was in a really bad place and she was kind of taking some of her frustrations out on ashley um i don't know but i i do think you're right that there has been ashley has kind of taken her into her circle a little bit um she's got a very small circle not many people in it but it seems like sveta is one of those people now she calls her cousin she gives her her bed um this is more growth for our character and i got thinking about this and like thinking about what happened to someone, what happened to someone to get them in Ashley's circle, right? So we think about Kenzie. What what was it about Kenzie that made Ashley bond with her? And of course, it's her home situation, right? Her Her abusive parents reminded Ashley of her abusive parents. And I think Victoria was a, a similar thing where they both have, had a very rough family life. Um, and so they, they bonded on some level with that. So I got, got me thinking about, well, what would have, what would have happened with Sveta to bring her into, into Ashley's circle a little bit more too? What if it was just this breakup? I mean, mm -hmm. like, like from Ashley's perspective, 
from an outside observer, it certainly looks like Sveta has been betrayed by the man she loves. And Ashley has some history of thinking that the man she loved has betrayed her, right? So this is another thing I think where she can, you know, connect that, that this Mm is the, uh, I see, I, I understand you now I'm going through the same thing you're going through. I can understand you. We've connected on a deeper level than we had before. And, and now you, we are together. I'm going to be here for you. I don't know if that's true, but I find that really interesting. Yeah. That, that makes me wonder like, and and I'm not entirely, I'm not even 50% confident that, that I have the right take here, but like, um, Ashley had basically said in the past, like, now you, you and I, Victoria, we're alike because you've, you've, you know, seen the darkness. You've, you've been in that place where you, you know, you were scrabbling up for one more breath and then hands reached up from below to pull you under and all yeah. that wonderful language. <laughs> and, and the thing about Sveta being Miss Glasses half full is that Ashley's never seen the fact that Sveta also has been in that position. Yeah, she knows that Sveta had this period where she was living on the streets eating garbage and murdering people accidentally. But <laughs> I love how in this book you can say that so yeah, casually. Yeah. Right. Um but like Sveta the the way she processes it it doesn't it never seems like Sveta tries to make it seem like it's not a big deal. And so when Sveta finally like shows some humanity, I think I think I think you're I, I think you're right that Ashley does see that as a um Oh, you're just like me moment. Yeah. Yeah. That that makes sense to me, I think. That seems to be how she measures her relationships. That's at least how that they start. I'm not I'm not trying to dismiss her feelings toward any of the people that she's led into the circle of hers, but um that's kind of how that first moment of contact comes. And I feel like it's it's definitely happened between her and Sveta now, and I was looking for why that might be. And the, the specifics of this breakup could be could be that. I mean, she seems to relate to every member of Breakthrough in terms of like how they're able to respond to the horrible, shitty challenges that they're faced with. Yeah. Like she respects Rain now because Rain like showed metal in the face of, you know, somebody wanting to kill him. Right. So like it's, it's, you have to, you have to earn her respect. Sure. Sure. Um, so yeah, Tattletail shows up and, I mean, so first of all, as as Svet is approaching, she's just like, sucks. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> such a tattletale. Yeah. Too. So, so sensitive. That's the closest um, she can get to being nice. Yeah, right, right. Uh, and then, like we said before, she goes, and Terry's, you disappeared on me and you turned off your phone. You told me something cryptic in a hurry, like a riddle I was supposed to solve. I went down the wrong rabbit hole, tried to find your cousin before I realized. Um so was it just me or did you also render like a little movie in your head of, of this scene? Yeah. And I know Tattletail never says here that she actually like found Crystal and communicated with her. But in my head, she did. I'm imagining her walking up to Crystal's door and Crystal being like, what? <laughs> and of course, like Lisa has a really hard time like admitting when she's wrong about something. <laughs> so I, I, like, I'm just imagining her like trying to come up with some bullshit yeah. as to why she's there. Um, and yeah. then like trying to get out of there as fast as possible. I don't know if that actually happened at all, but in my head it did. And it's wonderful. Yes. I enjoy that. But I do. I, I love this idea. Like the reason it failed is because like she went somebody important, family emergency. It's crystal. And, <laughs> 
no, it was Sveta who is her family. Like this is a constant refrain between these two characters is they are basically family and in, in everything but blood. They are sisters with each other. And yeah. I, I love I love that even even Lisa's power picked up on that to some extent. She just interpreted it a little wrongly. Yeah, it's also like the first time that we've seen or not the first time, but it's the first time in a while we've seen Lisa open up about the limitations of her power with someone. Um which is something that she keeps pretty close to the chest. I mean, like we've seen her do it with her direct teammates, but never someone like outside of her team. So, I mean, this is her opening up a vulnerability to people that could be her enemies down the road. And I, I think that's fascinating because I think, I think it's showing that there is some kind of bond or respect forming between her and, and Victoria that she's willing to do this. Right. Yeah. Willing to admit a mistake, basically. Yeah. And and the reason why I like this is not just because, oh, yeah, they're great together. And I think they are. They play off each other really well. And it's very entertaining narratively. But I also think it's possible that, like, being around Victoria might be good for Lisa. Like, it might actually make her a better person and and perhaps vice versa. Like, I think, like, I don't think it was good for Lisa to be around Taylor. And I love Taylor. But that was a disaster. Like it's like she played perfectly off Lisa's worst instincts, right? And vice versa. Yeah. We yeah. We, we talked about how they were basically enablers for each other yeah. in different ways. Yeah. And and I think that I think that maybe Victoria and her are like the reason they butt heads is the reason why they are better for each other. Yeah. Like iron they, sharp, they kinda, sharpens iron type. They thing. might be able to check each other, which is yeah. which is good. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think I mean I well, for one thing, I think that Victoria is not like this, this charity case that that uh, Tattletale at least at first saw Taylor as like. Right, right. Or not in the same way, at least. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I know yeah. what you mean, though. So, the, yeah, the chapter ends with Sveta joining the buddy cop team. Uh, to go ask questions of some shady characters. Yeah, and so we're going to move back into our detective story now. We kind of took a break from it a little bit, but we're moving back into it. And Wildbo once again makes the choice that I was not expecting, but in actuality is just the perfect one, right? Like right when our buddy cop dynamic could have possibly started to get a little stale, he introduces a new element to it, Sveta. And this is kind of like when Lethal Weapon brought in Joe Pesci for the third one, except, you know, good. Yeah, it's 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 not Joe Pesci. Yeah. Um I I we're going to keep keep the lethal weapon references rolling, I hope. All right. All right, moving on to 13.8. And we are out of breakup chapter and back into our detective novel. <laughs> and Tattletail's being super awesome right off the bat. It says uh first thing anybody says in the chapter, You'd think someone who was regressed two years in age to be a teenager again would at least try not to be such a stereotypical teen. Um, <laughs> so one thing Lisa's power may be able to do is to nearly read minds, but it seems to have no ability to read the room. Yeah, I remember that conversation about surface level versus taking a backhoe. Uh-huh. She's, she's using the backhoe again for yep. no fucking reason. For, for, yeah, it's not even like... It's tactical. It's just like, I'm annoyed with you for yeah. using your phone. Yeah. It, it, I, like, this basically causes Victoria to completely shut down temporarily because <laughs> it's literally triggering her. Triggering yeah, her. right. Um, and, and it's so annoying because, like, on the one hand, you're pissed off at Victoria, or at Tattletail, sorry. 
But like, if you think about it for half a second, it's like, we probably know exactly what her power is doing to her in this moment, right? It's like, oh, she's looking at her phone, uh, just like a teenager, uh, when she was DH due to the horrible thing that happened to her. Oh yeah, you were involved in that horrible thing that happened to her and she resents you for it. Yeah, she actually hates you. And like, you can see that path to where it's going, like her power is just constantly saying, oh yeah, this person fucking can't stand you. So like, you understand why she's like, just attacks them for seemingly no reason. Like it's, it's like we saw that in her interlude. We saw how her power does that to someone It did it with, with Lily. It was just like, yeah, this person, like it's almost as if she's having a silent argument with every single person that she's in contact with. But some of what she says is spoken out loud. Right. It makes her look just fucking terrible. Yeah. She's responding to what her power is telling her they are thinking about her which they're not actually um yeah yeah, yeah I, I love that i i think you're exactly right and which makes sveta's role here interesting uh doubly so and we're gonna get to the details of that in just a second though uh for now victoria mentions that the reason she's on her phone is that despite the comms blackout is that dragon is messaging her uh concerned on multiple levels and apparently lisa has been reading the subreddit uh, because she briefly considers that Dragon <laughs> herself is the culprit uh, behind the this uh, misinformation campaign, but then she dismisses it. Yeah, but we do get information that Dragon is starting to doubt the story, mm-hmm. or at least yeah. because she's she's collected evidence towards there being multiple instances instances of this as well. So she's like, hold up, maybe there's some some truth to this. Yep, yep. Um, there's this bit where Tattletail dip, uh, uh, tips her hand with some info about Dragon, and and uh, and Victoria says she hacked her brain. I asked, my eyebrows going up. You are exactly right, Tattletail said, smiling. <laughs> Defiant did too, from another angle. And I take the smile to mean oh, I'm enjoying that I get to lie to your face now, and there are no consequences because mm-hmm. I told you if we separate, I'm going to have to assume you're compromised and start bullshitting you. Um, so Telltale goes on to forebodingly talk about how if Dragon did turn against the heroes, she would definitely win. Yeah, I think you're right that she's having some fun here. And this part, like, I never had thought about the idea that a lot of people still don't know Dragon's true identity, um, including our protagonist. I I didn't, that did like, I I never actually connected those dots. I mean, it's definitely true. I just never thought about how that was true. And I think it's great because like, it's this 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 fairly well-kept secret that our protagonist doesn't know about i mean like do you think this whole scene is just literally like wild Bo just bringing up dragon to specifically wipe dragon off the table as far as suspects or are we specifically reminding our readers that a people don't know that dragon's an ai b if dragon were to ever be against our characters it would be very 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 bad um is that is that like just flavor text or is that the the author planting seeds to remember for later? Well, it could be those things, but I also think the reminding us of the fact that Victoria doesn't know dragons and AI uh, gives us yet another one of those little little hidden powder kegs that we've kind of forgotten about. Where if you reveal the fact that she's an AI at, at a strategically terrible moment then that is a is a damning blow to the heroes actually that's true that's true because a lot of people do know but a lot of people don't and they wouldn't quite you know it takes it it took everyone time to kind of process it the first time around and that was before she was like 
like she was kind of on, on her back foot back then and, and, and they needed her. But now she's in this position of power where people might start asking questions and say, hey, um, I'm not comfortable with this. But um, yeah, so I, I think more more likely it's being set up as a like uh, keep in mind that that drag that if, if this is revealed, then it would be a problem. Yeah, I like that. I'm also really interested to see. I think there's some future play that's going to happen with with Dragon and Kenzie. Um, I think because Kenzie looks up to her so much and their uh, invasiveness is is not exactly similar, but semi similar. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I've always wondered if because Kenzie went on to Dragon's ship. And I, I kind of have wondered ever since then if Kenzie didn't like just at, like in that exact moment realize like, huh, my camera is detect that Dragon doesn't have a pulse or blood and is clearly an android. And then she just kind of kept this information in her hip pocket yeah. because Kenzie's actually really like secretive is, is a trait that I don't know if we've ever quite expressed, but like yeah. she, she definitely will find things out about people and then just keep that to herself for months until it becomes relevant. That's true. That's true. So. And, and that, that makes me, I mean, that's one of the things that I think could be potentially really fascinating with this whole Kenzie dragon thing is that we've just been reminded, Hey, if dragon decides that, um, if dragon goes bad, I think is what, or, or the way Tattletail describes it is, is on the opposite side of us is, is against us. Uh, she's going to destroy us. So we, we remind people of this and then my mind goes, what if like dragon decides Kenzie's bad where, where is Victoria going to land in that situation? Like, cause we know where Ashley's going to land. Ashley's going to be sticking up for her girl. Yeah. Um, interesting. And I just like wonder if, if we're setting up like some interesting, really complicated gray conflict where we know Kenzie is not doing great stuff. She's there's cameras in bathrooms, Matt. Yeah. Um, and how, if dragon decides that we need to stop this girl, what our team is going to do about it. Yeah, right. And in, in, in like a, you know, Dragon versus Kinsey scenario, the uh, the mantra is completely useless, right? Yep. That's that's very true. Yep. Cool. So yeah. Um Oh yeah, so Sveta makes a comment here that I just liked because it like ties perfectly into both of those characters where she says when they're talking about hacking the mind, she says I feel like the brain should be sacrosanct. And I think that's very understandable for someone who went through all the cauldron shit while also um, being best friends with Victoria who had to witness all the stuff she was going through. So it's like, it's a perfect little comment that matches up with our characters really well. Yep. Um, Speaking of Sveta, Sveta is so hilariously shitty to Tattletail and it's great. (laughs) It it really shifts around the dynamic. Like I'm just a a, a small sampler plate of quotes. Get bent Tattletail. Sveta said, interrupting. That's what happens when you're a jackass, Sveta said. You've got enough bitch for the three of us, Sveta muttered. <laughs> These are just random selections from the chapter. And and what's funny is I I like we were just talking about how her power is probably always telling her that her people are thinking the worst of her. Maybe it's actually somewhat refreshing for her to be around someone who's just saying those things to her face. I think you're probably right. I think I think that 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 I think you're absolutely right, actually. And and I love this dynamic, right? Because I think Victoria and Lisa bicker, right? But it's a different kind of bickering because normally when Tattletail like says her bullshit, it just like 
freezes Victoria. So she doesn't like come back with a nice retort. But then every time that happens in this chapter, Sveta is there to like <laughs> fill in for Victoria and just be like, hey, fuck, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like it's it's really funny. And I think it, it, it does. It complicates this dynamic because we got, you know, um, Sveta doesn't have time for Lisa shit right now because she's in a really bad place. And she's just like, I don't have time to, to fuck around with the shit. I I'm going to tell you exactly everything that pops into my brain. Victoria is both worried about Sveta and like putting up with Lisa because she needs her right now. So she's kind of like in the middle. And then we have Lisa. And this is this is kind of what I want to talk to you about, because Victoria notes that Sveta seems to be coping pretty well, all things considered, Um, though you and I have talked many times about how everyone seems to think Sveta's doing better than she is always because she's pretty good at putting on a good face. So she's probably not doing quite as good as Victoria thinks. But her whole thing is that, well, as long as she has this outlet and tattletale, um, it seems to be going okay. She has somewhere to put her anger and her frustration. And as long as it's not a big deal, um, it's working. So my question is, do you think Lisa knows that and is like being a little being especially agitating to Sveta to be that punching bag? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, uh, that's an interesting question to think about. I don't I don't have an answer. I, I can imagine it. I can imagine her power being like Sveta needs a punching bag right now and Lisa yeah. deciding she's going to do that. But I can also just. It's also within the normal parameters of Lisa behavior. So, yeah, I, I agree. It's not it's not like significantly different enough to to definitively say she's going out of her way to be this punching bag. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's it's a very pro Lisa interpretation, right? It says that Lisa's yeah. Lisa's not just being a dick for no reason. There's actually purpose behind her madness. Um, I, I don't I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to rest on either side of it, you know, I like um, the ambiguity right now though. So yeah, I do. Too. Yeah. Uh, so Tattletale does succeed in getting Victoria to turn off her phone. And then she starts asking about the particulars of the deal Victoria arranged between Citrine and blue stocking. Um, and then Tattletale admits they're going to earth end to meet with the power players and that blue stocking is going to be the mediator. Yeah. So we're back to earth end so soon. One arc, one arc later back there. Um, I, I I think we're going to get to the meeting. Of course, we're going to get to the meeting specifically in a moment. But I just want to talk about how how great it is, like the construction of the story so far and how everything's kind of building off of each other in really natural ways. Like we had Victoria talk way earlier in the book about how important building and establishing relationships are because you never know how they're going to pay off down the road. And now we've had like the relationship that she built with the undersiders during the course of the last arc is now paying dividends here because she's able to go to Lisa for help. And on the flip side of that, we're seeing Victoria's very shaky truce relationship with blue stocking paying off here now coming to fruition here where it's working to get them in places, but it's also very, very, it's very une- uneven ground. So I, I like that. It's just like seeing like Victoria's philosophy about building these relationships and you never know when these things are going to pay off in ways or when they're going to help you in different ways, which actually, now that I say that out loud, that's like a very transactional based philosophy <laughs> and like something that her diary could twist and interpret in the right. worst possible way instead of in the genuinely 
like well-meaning yeah. way that right. she actually has. Yeah, just just strip out her actual motives, and it sounds it sounds very uh, transactional. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. True. I like that. Um, so yeah, Telltale breaks down the groups of people that she keeps tabs on and the reasons why. I just kind of like the way she does this. She she says there's threats, there's cultural, financial, informational, and powers uh, kind of blocks that she's paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And then there's this interesting digression about Dido from Azure being some kind of hazard when money is involved. And I thought this was an interesting tangent. Is it? I always said Dido. Am I, I wrong? Know. I don't Am know. Am I wrong? I literally have no I mean, idea. It's a different language, so who knows? It's probably yeah, but Dido. I mean, the, the team basically does our name game job for us, right? With Dido. Yeah. Uh, the first queen of Carthage who fled from her brother, King Pygmalion, after she pretended to throw a bunch of money into the sea. But she didn't. It was they're just filled with bags of stand instead. Um, she goes on to help found Carthage, uh, who would mess with Rome for like 150 years. Uh-huh. More than yep. that. The Punic Wars, that thing. Right. Yeah. Um, you can learn all about Dido in Virgil's The Aeneid, which you should read because it's really good. Read that. It's really good. And this has been Classics Corner with We've Got Ward. <laughs> anyway, uh, I think there are two important parts about this whole deal. I think the first is... Lisa is once again kind of laying out her organization for someone else that's not on her team, right? She's Uh like revealing like, this is how I organize things. This is how I segment things. I'm telling you about the people I'm keeping tabs on and the people I interact with. She's, um, she's really being honest. I mean, maybe she's bullshitting. We don't know, but it seems like she's being honest with her about how she kind of runs things. Yeah. Right. I mean, the thing about Lisa is she she she's not a villain. She's just not a hero. Right. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like I, I don't know. I thought the whole the whole tangent about about Dido was was great. I wasn't entirely sure what to make of it beyond kind of this the the level of what's going on between the characters. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the it there is for certain that the other thing we get here is like reminder of Sveta's tragedy right which is like she says the reason I know so much about Dido is because Dido was related to Pygmalion and uh, Pygmalion is the mythological uh, I don't want to say hero legend about the man who falls in love with the statue and and prays to Aphrodite and brings it to life Galatea and she was going to name herself Galatea that's one of the things she considered because of its connection to Weld um, which is just heartbreaking on so many levels, it just shows how committed and how long term her thoughts were about this relationship. Like to Sveta, this was it, right? This was it. Yep. And uh, also, like Galatea doesn't make sense, Sveta. If Weld is the statue in this Pygmalion metaphor, then you should named yourself Pygmalion. You dumb dumb. <laughs> Got it. I I dragged her. Good. <laughs> glad, <laughs> glad glad we found every opportunity to do so. <laughs> Um, so yep, now we finally return about 12 arcs later to the lodge. Yay. I remember with the first interlude of, of Ward, Matt, many, many moons ago. I do. I guess it was like 13 arcs later then. Yeah. yeah. We were so young back then. (laughs) So innocent. We thought the world was going to get better. Yeah. Or at least we, we watched as everyone pretended like they thought the world was going to get better. Yeah. I mean, I mean, all of our characters are in some of our characters are in slightly better places now. (laughs) 
they're doing good. The world, yeah. on the other hand, no, the, the, the micro, we're doing okay. The macro, yeah. not so much. Yeah, not so good, yeah. Uh, in passing, as they're going in, Vicky sees a bunch of the villains and notes that Etna is not among them. She's dead, Matt. She's probably dead. Isn't it interesting, though, that she says, like, when she looks for her, is like, I didn't, like, go that hard on her. <laughs> right. It's just like her mask just pissed me off. It represented all my anger. I was like, you threw her into a hill, though, like real yeah. hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Victoria, have you ever, have you ever fallen a long distance? <laughs> just, no, just, she can fly. Just Have you ever just fallen, like not been thrown downward? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I can vouch that it hurts. Yeah, definitely, definitely you hurts. Can, you can fall from a standing position and get injured. <laughs> Uh, anyway, inside the lodge are a number of villains that we know and love. Uh, the enforcers pat down the detectives as they enter, uh, which Victoria thinks is dumb because she can smash. Yeah, th- I mean, so this whole lodge scene, I think, is fantastic. And I think one of the one of the reasons why it gets it so great is because it's such this weird, like outlandish, like inherently ridiculous thing that's happening right now. Like, and and I love how the text sets that up. So one of the first things we do is that she's getting patted down and she's like, this is stupid. My weapon is me. This doesn't make any sense. And then we move on to like this, this awkward, like pat down of Sveta that doesn't go well because like the guy doing it, like has no idea what to do. And it's kind of just like, like it's, it's ridiculous. And then we like look through the, the group of bad guys and just all these people that they were fighting before. And then there's nursery <laughs> like uh-huh. nursery is standing here. A person she was fighting two arcs ago. Right. Is just hanging out here. And it, it's like it's Victoria has never been more out of her element than she is right now. She's kind of entirely at the whim of Tattletale here. Right. Because like she doesn't like anyone here. She actively hates some of these people and like especially nursery especially after what nursery did to her and i think that's what's going on here like mentioning nursery was deliberate in the text right that is a deliberate thing that the book did to establish how kind of weird and out of her place victoria is in this moment yeah that's true um and the nursery thing is interesting because because victoria was definitely kind of traumatized by that fight Uh uh-huh this is definitely a scene though that i would love to like see from someone else's point of view because you know we've we've been doing this whole you know paying attention to the fact that this is like a detective type motif yeah like this this probably like victoria probably looks like a badass right now (laughs) like and and plus like I think she probably kicked a lot of these people's asses recently too. Like it's not that she fought them. It's that her team beat theirs and Victoria has become this like brutal, efficient ass kicking machine. So I don't know. I'm just, it's a fun scene to imagine from the outside, kind of like how sometimes we like to do this with Taylor where, where we would be like, let's reflect for a moment (laughs) on the (laughs) actions that our protagonist has just taken from an objective point of view. I think this is, this might be a good moment to do that. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Um, well, I mean, the, the interesting thing with that is like, I, I agree with you that there is a chance she looks badass. But the other thing I did to it, because we're playing this buddy cop thing and and Victoria is clearly like the straight laced goody goody cop, whereas uh, Lisa is like the throw the book out the window. Don't give a shit about it, cop. Like, I think there's also a read here that from an external perspective, 
it looks like like the, the the detective that always wears a suit like walking in to like a biker bar uh-huh. <laughs> to, like like just that they're clearly so out of their element and awkward that it just comes off as almost hilarious i think i think i don't know if that's specifically what this was going for but that was my read on it was kind of that interesting see i'm i'm focusing more on the visual element that victoria now has like like a suit that like a like a black eyeless mask and like her costume is basically just like black with with gold highlights and yeah. I don't know. I might be I might dark. be aw shucksing Victoria a little too much. A little too yeah, much. It, I mean it's interesting that we have contrasting takes here and, and it's forcing me to kind of consider the possible alternatives. But yeah, inter- interesting interesting. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um so Tattletale and Sveta now have a um brief back and forth about whether Cauldron deserves credit for saving the world. Hi, my name is Scott, and I'm not going to touch this conversation at all. Both sides are right. Hooray slash boo cauldron. Let's move on. I agree. <laughs> um, I think, you know, one of the, the thing that I do like about the, the kind of the the background of, of why this argument starts, though, is because Lisa is noting that the last time she was here at the lodge was when she was hiring people to do the community center <laughs> job. You know, the thing that Victoria fought specifically against at the beginning yeah. of the book. Yeah. The inciting incident. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and I think that that to me just like helps, you know, accentuate the the oddness of this entire situation. She's back now here and she's with the person that was fighting against the people that she hired the last time she was here. It's like it's just this like weird like quagmire of. I don't know what's going on here. Who's like, what's right and wrong anymore. We're living in the gray. And I think bringing up the idea of cauldron in the middle of this weirdness is perfect. I think. Yeah. Right. And, and Victoria doesn't even weigh in on it. Does she? No, she stays out of it. Yeah. She's just like, I'm, I'm in the villain lair with the villain working with the villain. I, I'm just so confused. (laughs) What am I doing here? How did I get here? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as she walks up to the second floor, the gray-haired bartender catches Victoria's attention, putting him into our attention uh, for later. And she mentally feels quite concerned about him. She can't place him. Yeah, this is a this is an interesting little thing that we do here because we we call attention to him just enough to where like we definitely know there's something going on with this guy, but then we move on quick enough where we're just like, oh okay, right? Like she lumps him in in the same corner of her mind as things as scary as the slaughterhouse nine so instantly you're like what Uh-oh. huh yeah, what let's, let's pay attention to this right yeah but then we kind of just move on because she can't place him um yeah. and and i am i am thankful we come back to this relatively quickly though i like if this has just been like a thing that was floated out there that just stayed out there for chapters i think it would have been a little annoying but i yeah. think i think it works exactly as when it when it comes back here especially like this idea it's like they can't be the slaughterhouse nine capes don't have gray hair they're not there's none of them are old enough yeah yeah it's impossible yeah um so yeah we meet a few capes now that we haven't met or we at least don't know well uh there's semiramis i don't know how to say any of these words semiramis a time manipulator and a culture and cash player who runs a media empire and keeps the um uh, basically, the media faces in her servitude using her power. Mm-hmm. There's little Midas, who is responsible for the present ecosystem of mercenary talent, which we've witnessed throughout the story. 
Uh, there's Nero and Snake Eater and Whistler, who I don't think we learned much about here. No. And then, and then we have Prancer, whom uh, we're well acquainted with, and uh, he's apparently been promoted to the upper floor. Good for you, Prancer. He's pr- promoted to the upper floor, has another 18-year-old back at his house. <laughs> he's doing great. Doing great. <laughs> do, you, do you think, am I reading too much into this, or is this just a coincidence that very recently we've now been introduced to three capes who all um, are named after mythological figures. Like we have Dido Semiramis is um, I think a Syrian um, and Midas is of course Midas. Right. Um, is, is it just a result of like the fact that she's working with Tattletail, like the echelon of villain that, that they're dealing with, that they're interacting with are elevated to the point where they are people that name themselves after these mythological characters. Is that just it? Um, I think it's just funny that like, like just, just a lot of it recently. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence. We had this conversation about Galatea and, and Dido and like the, the, the whole, the whole chapter is rife with it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure where it's heading exactly other that I mean it's it's a really cool motif for the chapter and I and I do like your idea that like now that she's on the you know the um kind of like how 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 um uh she made the comment like like Lord of Loss is, is a name that w- would be mocked if you didn't live up to it yeah um and similarly like goddess can get away with calling herself goddess because she took over a planet mm-hmm. um like you can get away with names like this, I guess, when you're when you're uh, uh, really powerful. So maybe there's something to that. Too. Yeah. And there yeah. there is a there is a feeling throughout the chapter that her interactions with Tattletail have moved her up. I mean, like we get we get like this idea that this this top floor of this place is a place that not everyone gets to go to. It's very, very exclusive. And if you fuck up once, you're out. Yeah. Um, and, and then also we have the moment where they're driving to Earth End and Tattletail's like, yeah, we uh we take the car portal because we are legit. Uh-huh. We don't go through that stupid plebeian portal. Uh-huh. We're you're you're with you're with the big boys now, and I think I think these names just perfectly slot into that general idea that that we're we're with a higher level criminal than we've dealt with before. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I think that there's this feeling like we kind of joked at the top of the episode that these are like mob bosses right in in, in a way that your typical supervillain doesn't feel like a mob boss like these that they're they're sitting around one imagines smoking cigars and drinking uh gin or whatever and uh i I don't don't know what mob bosses drink they just they just smoke cigars and drink gin apparently that's what they do Mm -hmm. that's what mob bosses do (laughs) um and I don't remember where I was going with this other than yes, these are that they're meant to seem different from your average Cape. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and, and the names like anything wild Bo does, the names help support that image. I think. Yeah. I think yeah. you're right. So Tattletail calls Sveta out on thinking that she might just stay here in the villain realm and be blue stockings for a while. And Sveta's like, come on, the thought crossed my mind for a second, but not as like a serious thought. Um, and, and she says, I'd be more likely to basically just live as like a hermit on the mm-hmm. beach here. And even that wasn't a serious thought either. Um, and then, uh, and then she said, it's not an option in the first place. I had, t- uh, sorry, no, uh, Tattletail says, yes, 
Yes. It's not, it's not an option in the first place. I had teammates do that. It's lousy for them and for everyone else. That's all I wanted to say. Vista says Rachel is doing well where she is, I noted. Her? I suppose, Tattletail said. But hush, hush. Blues do to show up. <gasps> who's, Matt, who's she talking about? Who's she, what, what, who's she what, talking what about? What other teammate does she have who's not around? It's not who, Rachel. Who could it be? I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to hold this in my little my little pocket where I keep all my hope. <laughs> do you um, really want that? To, I mean, do you really want her to be talking about Taylor here? I I will take any shred of hope that Taylor is alive. <laughs> um, but I mean, well, if like the th- weird thing about this is if, if this is referring to Taylor, if it is, and I'm not saying it is, but if it is, it's weird for her to be like, it's lousy for them. And for everyone else. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Honestly, like I, my only my only thought is that it could be Taylor because I don't th- I don't know of any other unless it's like a heartbroken. And I'm like, well, maybe, but I don't think she would care that much. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. yeah, yeah. I mean, but ma- I mean, maybe maybe it is Taylor, and it's just Lisa's view on what Taylor decided to do is inherently negative. Yeah. Um, well, rather I- than than yeah. what Taylor's actually feeling, you know? Yeah, right. Well, she, and, and I mean, she may have no idea what Taylor's feeling and she's mm-hmm. just feeling sorry for herself. Yeah. Um, all right. So the investigators and mob bosses, uh, villains, uh, settle down into an intricate information bartering session, everyone maneuvering to preserve their own advantage while learning what the others know. And it, it's pretty awesome. I think it's really well-written. It is, it is. And this is one of those things where like, there's a a lot to it. So diving into the details is really hard, but like it's a style of writing that I think looks easier than the way it is, because like you basically set up the situation where you have five characters who all have their own agenda and they all are keeping things extremely close to their chest and none of them really like each other. Like blue stocking doesn't like Victoria and she's supposed to be a mediator. Their relationship with Prancer is a little bit better, but like everybody hates Tattletail. Yeah. <laughs> like everybody. Um, so yeah, it, it's, I think this is tougher to write than it looks like because you have to like make people's motives not perfectly clear, but not unclear either. Um, and I think it just, it just manages to make it, it manages to make an interesting conversation that moves well without being bogged down in a lot of confusion. Like, I think it's very easy to write a section where like, I would have to go back and reread to, uh, to fully understand everything, but I didn't have that problem. Yeah. So right. I, I think it's good. And these characters are, a lot of them are being introduced for basically the first time we've seen right. Midas, but we don't really know him. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. yeah. So we have to, yeah. So you're, you're right. So on top of that, we have to we have to have their personalities explained to us while we're doing all this complicated stuff. So yeah, it's great. Yeah. Uh, Apparently the move against big picture was somehow not only a move against foresight, but also a move that harmed Semiramis. Yeah. They're, they're playing both sides, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. Who is this? It's like, and it makes you wonder like, was, was one of them the true target or were they both the target? And it was just like, that's how clever they are. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's interesting. Uh, Tattletale guesses that the same people doing this were in, also involved in luring out the navigators. Yeah, um, that's what I think. I think uh, Victoria's exact reaction to that is, oh, shit, this goes back way further than I thought it did. Yeah, right. And and yeah, we can hate them even more than we already did. I know. It's, it's perfect. Uh, Tattletail pings Sveta for some info via like a text app on her phone because she's basically trying to like put the puzzle together. And then when she gets the info from Sveta, she guesses that, hey, this is teacher related. 
Um, and so I'm not sure if I actually parsed this right. So basically, I think like, yeah, Simiramis was like, yeah, I knew it was teacher related. And now you have like blown information that I didn't want to be shared. So I'm annoyed with you. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's like this whole thing is really interesting because like, first of all, she just like pisses Feta off again because Feta's like, I specifically don't want to real, reveal information about this case 53 because they wanted this kept personally. Yeah. <laughs> Tattletale like gets her to dish the information silently via via text and then like immediately shows like immediately says it out loud to everyone. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, that pisses off. Sveta pisses off Semiramis. The only person that's like not pissed off is Midas, who's like, I'm enjoying this. This is great. Um, Yeah, it's like so basically at this point, like negotiations are not going well at all. Yes, yes. But Victoria, the the cop who's been relatively quiet, um, she finally places the bartender. And because she's a good cop, uh, she notices it's a it's a case 12. Um, The guy who's so. He, he's been using drinks to somehow get leverage over the villain patrons. We're not actually sure what he's doing or, or how, but or why. we can assume, yeah, we can assume the drinks are related and that yeah, he's like a secret drinks weapon. Drinks or food, something, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the villains are, are grateful enough at this revelation that they are probably going to open up a little bit. Yeah. I think this is really cool, Matt, because as we said at the very beginning of the show, so far, like everything's kind of been led by Tattletale. Tattletale has been the point on this. She's been the one doing the questioning. She's been the one chasing down the leads. Victoria has kind of been the stand by the side and uh, maybe be good cop every once in a while in some of these these questionings. But she hasn't been in the lead. But in this moment, Tattletale is failing, right? She's she's what she's doing. The, the tact that she's taking here is not working. Um, and then Victoria kind of swoops in with the solution the the by the book detective who spends her free time, you know, collecting and, and reading case notes on people uh, uses that knowledge to to figure something out that saves the negotiation and maybe results in them actually getting information that they needed. Um, and it, so it's cool to see that, like, Victoria had kind of been the passive one of this investigation so far. And, and this opportunity lets her do something that Lisa couldn't and. And she's successful here. We don't see exactly how this plays out yet, but um, it seems like it's going towards a successful interrogation or meeting or or information gathering session. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right, and uh, it's an exciting place to end this chapter. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, so yeah, that was that was cool. Um, <laughs> let's move on. That was cool. It's good. <laughs> Liked it. Um, to community spotlight. And the discussion question from last week was discuss sometimes Wildlow has blended elements of different genres and what effects does this create? And uh, I, I mentioned that you like you can mention stuff from outside of parahumans. But of course, thanks for contributing those if you did. But we're not going to talk about them here. Yes, I ignored those. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Flower Priest says uh, the examples that come to mind is uh, Worm Arc 23 Drone. And it's a really short arc, but I think it has some of the best Wildbow writing. Each chapter is its own contained story with their own moods and goals. 23.1 is a standard rookie hero gets her first mission and wants to prove herself story. Uh, but twisted in, in that Taylor is a veteran villain trying to find, uh, trying to fit into a new power structure uh, with lower stakes action than the rest of the book and some nice fish out of water comedy. 23.2 is a tense spy thriller in which a protectorate team turns traitor and the action feels more dangerous and visceral. 
23.3 has two parts. The first is a workplace drama where the new employee questions her superior's business strategy and receives a lesson in the importance of PR and teamwork. The second part is an emotional teen drama moment where the protagonist has moved on to a new town and receives letters from her friends back home. No action in either part. 24, uh, 23.4 is an introspective character piece where the former mob boss has a revealing conversation with her therapist and begins the process of questioning her goals and motives that lead to a better life path. 23.5 is a pre-battle wartime tale where the lone soldier prepares to enter the battlefield, meets her former platoon, and assembles a team of eager rookies under her command. Um, and basically, they, they say this feels like an arc where Wildbow just took what he learned writing interludes overall, setting a scene and a situation resolution within one chapter, and then was able to apply those lessons within a main story, creating something that felt like a series of, of interludes, except they were all Taylor chapters. Um, and it, it helps in this moment where Taylor feels unmoored in her life, unsure into which genre her story belongs. I love that. Yeah, I like that, especially that end there. You know what this answer did for me the most, though? What? This chapter, this arc was only five chapters in an interlude. <laughs> Man, what? <it's> so short. <laughs> huh? that, that can't be right. Yeah, I, I, I give myself crap for the fact that our two chapter episodes are um, an hour and a half plus these days. But I think the arcs back then were shorter. That's all I'm were, saying. I think they were. I think they were. <laughs> Lighten up, everybody. Yeah. Especially me, because I'm my own worst critic. It's true, you are. Um, up next, we have Wanson, who picks Dot's interlude. Uh, they say it was textbook fantasy out of nowhere. You got the young, plucky heroine who's foraging for food, notices the monsters, is sent on a mission to warn the people, and sees an opportunity to find her folks' long-lost king. I'm fairly certain I played fantasy RPGs that start exactly like this. Um, they mentioned that it's a quick way for Wildbo to make us sympathize with the pretty distinctly non-human dot. And it's an awesome bit of misdirection. It, it puts us in the mind that Nilbog is going to fall back into his old kingly ways as soon as the young heroine, heroine of the story reaches to him and frees him from captivity, uh, which is not what it was. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good example. That's one of the ones that jumped into my head uh, when you first posed this question was that is that is literally almost like a hero's journey fantasy story. Yeah, yeah, I love that one, too. Literally Bismarck says my favorite blending of genres was when Worm suddenly turned into a police procedural slash courtroom drama in Cell. The arc takes a pretty dark turn eventually, but a lot of the arc has some pretty great comedic beats. And I think that's because there's an inherent comedy in bringing something as formal and no, no nonsense as the legal system into a world where grown men and women put on skin tight suits and 1v1 each other IRL. <laughs> Kaye is a fun character in in the Saul from Breaking Bad way, and this is the arc that gave us however you'd charge putting maggots in someone's eyeballs in self-defense, uh, <laughs> which is actually the line that made me think of this whole thing. More than that, though, bringing in the conversations of the police procedural drives home, sorry, the conventions of the police procedural drives home that Taylor might not actually be a great person. Both the audience and Taylor have gotten used to Taylor judging, uh, sorry, judging Taylor by the standards of the cape world and specifically of the villain community. And by those standards, she's generally as moral as you can be while, while wearing the villain label. Taylor has forgotten that okay by supervillain standards is a really, really low bar set for, to set for yourself. Kaye running her through the charges leveled against her is a great way to summarize all the violence that we've seen. And it dramatizes the fall from her attacking uh, clearly justifiable targets like Lung and his gang to her attack on the mayor and his family. And of course, the arc ends with one of Taylor's least justified killings where she admits even to herself that she's not 
that, sorry, that she's killing out of revenge, not for the greater good or as a means to an end. That yep. was very well written. I liked it a lot, and I agree with all of that. Yeah, and the cool thing is, is Wild was not just saying like this arc is a courtroom drama. It's ta- like based. That's kind of why I phrased the question that way. It's taking elements of the courtroom drama to cause a certain effect, but playing off that effect, not not playing into that effect. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. yeah. Up next, we have No Goodbye, who says, I think the migration arc in Worm was a great example of the story playing with genres. Literally shifting into a different world helped. It played more like a disaster movie than anything else up to this point, with the perspective being from a group of non-parahumans with much more human baggage holding them back, which made the threat of the Seamurg much more effective. That's true, and I don't know if we talked about this. I honestly don't. Migration was a long, long time ago, Matt. I don't know if we talked about the fact that, like, just at no point in the story... Up until that point and after, we got as much time with non-Cape people as we did in Migration. Mm-hmm. Um, and how how different that is, you know, tone-wise yeah. and 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 stakes-wise and, and the, the emotions of the whole thing. So, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it has the the tone and stakes of a disaster movie. And, you know, they're, they're concerned about their injured friend needing medical attention. That's the driving, you know, the, the driving, uh, uh, tension of the, of the arc, right? Yeah. It's, it's not, I mean, they're trying to escape from the disaster and then, and then after that, it's trying to get medical, att- medical attention. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, there's a lot of stuff going on in that arc. It's a great arc. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. Uh, M E for Ma- me for Mars. Yes. Me for Mars for parahumans. I'd say the best example of this kicks off in worms buzz seven dot 12 until this point in worm, we had dabblings of other genres Spy games slash espionage in joining the Undersiders, the heist of robbing the bank and crashing the PRT party, the thriller of escaping Bakata, straight action with fighting the ABB and Empire 88. Through all of it, the various subgenres tied back into the main superhero genre. Realistic, sure, but its tropes felt more obeyed than the rest. But lurking in the background of this superhero story was another genre hinted at and treated as a fact of life for Earthbet. Kaiju. It drove home exactly where the characters fit into this world, shifting the scale from larger-than-life heroics slash villainy to merely hoping to survive the sentient natural disaster come to shore. Leviathan primed us uh, for where the story was heading, even as he sank back underneath the waves. So that's great. Using using the, the I guess you can call kaiju a genre. Yeah, that's <laughs> sure. sure. The yeah. Godzilla, the monster movie genre, kind yeah. of, I guess. Yeah, yeah the, I don't know. The big monster comes smashing. I mean, yeah. King Kong and all that. Everyone loves to talk about that. I mean, I think I think probably the most common refrain you get when people talk about Worm is, have you gotten to Arc 8 yet, right? Yeah. Like, that's like, that's the, the watershed moment where the story really, <laughs> ha, 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 didn't even do that on purpose, where the story really um, reveals the scope of itself in a way that it had never before. I mean, I still remember realizing that there's going to be freaking Godzilla's in this story. Yeah. It's like, it, it's not a thing you expected at all. And it is, it is, it is like, it, I, I don't know if it's necessarily like playing in another genre, but it's like, it's, it's a reveal of a genre. You didn't even realize you were in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, again, it's, it's using, it's using a paintbrush that it's borrowing from another genre and it's, it's using all of those colors now. Yeah. I, yeah, sure. Up next, we have Mr. Cogs, who goes in a slightly different direction with their answer here, Matt. Uh, They say they talk about Weaver Dice. Wildbow dealing with Weaver Dice, the game that he invented. Weaver Dice makes the player's character power 
and a defining incident of their backstory dependent <coughs> on the input of the group rather than crafted exactly to the player's specifications. This is much more common to find in a rules light narrative RPG like Fiasco or Ten Candles. These type of games are often meant to be played in a single session. Mixing types of games like this probably won't be to everyone's taste, but it is a way to highlight the pathos of the Parahumans universe. So almost almost by dab like jumping into the idea of like a, a pen and paper RPG type game, it's revealing the differences and the importance of the Parahumans universe. Yeah, it's 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 stating like this is where your focus should be in this world. Yeah. Cool. <coughs> Predatorian says, let's talk about eleven dot three. One of my favorite non-interlude war chapters. The tone starts off really somber. Breakthrough is reeling after the Chris reveal. Kenzie's in a bad place with Ashley and Victoria trying their best to look after her. Victoria turns to her favorite method of self-care. And we get an extended summary of her cape files. And then Imp crashes into the scene and we're suddenly in some sort of wacky home invasion comedy. Complete with banter and memory gaps and misfired flare guns. Uh, what's wonderful about the tone whiplash is Ashley, Vic, and Kenzie are still stuck to their stuck in their dour character drama and have absolutely zero patience for for Imp's hijinks. <laughs> they just want time uh, to take stock and mourn, and here's Ashley trying to literally burn down their home around them while cracking one-liners. It makes for some incredible comedy beats, but also there's hints uh, that, that sorry, but there's also this weight and melancholy underpinning everything. By the time Breakthrough and the Undersiders end up at the negotiating table, Victoria is just so frustrated and emotionally wrung out that you understand her decision to basically strong-arm Tats into allying with her. She just doesn't have to play these games anymore. Doesn't want to play these games. On a structural level, the chapter does a great job of setting up that final negotiation and getting the next act of the arc rolling, story rolling. And that's uh, and it's also a much needed bit of fun and tension relief before we plunge into the madness that is arcs 11 and 12. I love it so much. Yeah, that's fun. That I mean, that's uh, the, again, this is a cool take on on kind of the, the nature of the question because yeah, um, I, I I don't think I would have ever called this like a genre shift, but um, if, if we're gonna be really fine grained with our genre designations, then sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, cool. That's cool. I mean, I, I, I would never have put this chapter on my list of like favorite chapters in the book. So I think it's really cool to see a person with a perspective on a chapter that likes it like way more than I did. And, and they're very passionate about it. And it's yeah. really cool. I mean, I remember I remember enjoying it for sure. Yeah, yeah. I did. I, for, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Up next, we have Arena Venera, who also um, takes a little different path with this. They want to talk about fan fiction a little bit here, Matt. So they say one of my favorite things about Wildbo's writing is the way Worm pulls so many fan fiction tropes into an original story. They say, I realize fan fiction isn't a genre, but it has its own tropes like anything else. So they're they're using it as one here. It works because in a sense, Worm is a fan fiction for all the the genre, the generic superhero stories we've been exposed to over the years. Wildbo can reference a fairly extensive canon that his readers are already familiar with flight, superhero strength hero teams, supervillains, etc., which helps you slip into the world right away. He can also subvert them, e.g. the protector being a, a conspiracy. And the subversion works precisely because everyone grew up with the Justice League. My favorite trope he borrows from fan fiction is the come up with clever, self-consistent explanation for nonsensical things in the original work trope. 
It's a very long trope. <laughs> for example, he has a clever explanation for why there's so much superpowered fighting with comparatively small numbers of deaths. And he has another clever explanation for why villains are so prevalent and haven't just been defeated yet. I think this is why there's so much fan crossover between Worm and Harry Potter methods of rationality. They both do an excellent job in this sort of post facto explanation. Yeah, I agree with that. You've read that, so you know whether that's true yeah. or not. Uh, yeah, I mean, it does the same exact thing where he's like, um, the Harry Potter universe is complete nonsense. Let me fix it for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That's why I think, you know, people, I think people argue over whether worm is a deconstruction or, or a reconstruction. And I think because it, arena Venera's answer here is why I point towards more of a reconstruction. We're not, we're not breaking down the superhero tropes We're we're building them up in a way that they make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and feel realistic. Exactly. Yeah. yeah I like this answer. I, 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 I mean, I think, I'm sure genre has some technical definition, but like if, if something has its own kind of consistent language set of, of tropes and language about it, then I I'm happy. I'm happy with calling that a genre for our purposes here. Sure. Yeah. The Chubb 23 <laughs> says arc, uh, sorry, uh, uh, the echidna arc overall, uh, because if the travelers arc, uh, we had, sorry. Yeah. So, so yeah, because of the travelers arc, we had just read, uh, the tale of Noel turns into a tragedy. The actions of our protagonist, Skitter, um, is the kind of tale a soldier would tell when trying to contain their opposition against the superior's orders. There's the story of corruption that's been seeding in the background, uh, threatening more than just the battle. Tattletale's mad hatter trick to resolve every problem away at once. And lastly, the quiet struggle of friends coming uh, to kill... Uh, ah, sorry. Uh, needing to kill each other because they've gone too far. The balance of the character arcs in this section of the story is the most mind-blowing piece of writing I've come across, even when compared with the end arc of Worm spec. The echidna arcs are just so much more vast in character development drama in accumulating spectacle that's dozens versus um, the arc um, about one person losing her mind. So basically, yeah, the, the point here is the echidna arc, you've got the culmination of all of the threads that were involved in, in the um, in, in migration and so you're not even necessarily rooting for Skitter to win. I think that's an interesting point, and I think that's that's true. Yeah, and it, it plays. I think I think one of their points is it plays like it kind of dips into like a, a a war story more than any other point in the the story yeah. has. Yeah, yeah, and there's all there's it's one of the many parts of the story where there's more life and death stakes. Like a lot yeah. of people die in that arc. Yeah, for sure. Uh, last but certainly not least, Sarah Penguin has a very lengthy post for us that basically goes into every single genre you can think of and shows how the parahumans universe and the idea of superpower specifically blend perfectly into those genres it's a very long post i i can't even summarize it beyond what i just did but everyone should go read it it's really really great i, I enjoyed i enjoyed that read a whole lot all right sounds good yeah hey Matt, do you have an answer to this what's your favorite genre blending um I mean, Sorry I'm, to put you I'm enjoying spot. I'm enjoying the heck out of this detective uh, buddy cop arc right now. I mean, I mean, I, I, other than that, I would have to give the example of, of either migration or um, or or, you know, Leviathan. But but I think it, within within Ward, like I, I'm just really enjoying what Wild is doing with kind of the the genre tropes here and how they're weaving into the story that we we already have going on in a way that feels very organic um yeah that, that'd be my answer do you have an answer 
I, I'll agree with that. Um, it's great. I, I, I put that aside or I tried to put that aside because I wanted to come up with something else. And when I put aside this, this buddy cop detective story, the first thing that popped into my head was, um, the slaughterhouse 9,000 area uh-huh. where specifically where the building that they're trying to break into basically turns into a haunted house yeah. <laughs> in a horror story. Um, I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. And, and I, I know we, I know we very specifically called out how amazingly true to the horror genre that stuff was when we were covering that chapter way back in worm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I still, I still like, you know, there's, there's, it's been a long time since we read worm and we did this for worm, but there are still moments of the story that not only is my reading of it very distinct, but our discussion is still very distinct in my mind. And that is one of them um, because I loved it so much. Yeah. I forget which, I forget the arc name where it's just an arc of interludes where the, the nine go to each of their candidates and it's just a series of interludes where they're um, ruining their candidates lives. Yeah. I think that's, I want to say arc 11. I don't remember the name of it, but that's the number that's popping into my head. I think you might be right, but that's one of those ones where you're like, okay, we've now moved fully into some kind of fucked up psychological horror. Yeah. And that's really great. Yeah. Cool. Yep. I I mean, there's, there's a lot. Yeah, for sure. And and I think it's telling that everyone picked like different arcs in in, in their answers. I mean, that's like, you know, every, every time we come up with these questions in the back of my head, I'm always like, Oh, what if everyone picks the same thing? It's going to be lame. And we just never have that problem. I think, I think the writing is so across the board good that everyone is able to come up with their own personal favorite part or part that best ex- exemplifies this or part that best exemplifies that. I, I think that's pretty universal in, in my experience across the story. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. Speaking of which, let's see if people get a wide variety of answers to this week's question. All right. Which is, uh, what is the most memorable setting in Parahumans? And so, talk about the function it serves. So when you say setting, just to clarify for, for everyone at home, not for me, definitely not for me. Uh-huh. Like you're talking like physical, like location where people are hanging out. So like you, you're, you're, the reason for this question is because of the lodge, I'm guessing. The reason for this question is because of the lodge. And I was thinking like, man, it, it, it like it feels like meaningful that we're returning to this location like because yeah. it could it could have just been like they're at they're at the bar on 6th street and and you know okay whatever but but yeah. like it feels like it means something it feels momentous that we're returning to this location right um and there's and, and wildbo returns to locations a lot actually there's there's mm-hmm. some there's some one off locations which i would call memorable most locations we return to Remember the um, mall in, in Worm that we kept going back to and seeing yeah. different different states right. of, of decay? The, and, and that's honestly the first thing that pops into my mind. But then then as soon as I started thinking about it, I was like, oh, there's a bunch of locations there are, yeah. Um, that, yeah. That, that I think of. I was like, yeah, that I'm not even going to say them because I want everyone to get their chance to, to be original with their answer. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is actually a strength of his writing that I may have even overlooked until I, until I thought to think about it. Um, so Well, that's great. That makes a great discussion question. Yeah. So answer it, everyone. I look forward to your answers. And that's all we've got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. And you can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com. I have some emails that I need to respond to, so if you've emailed me recently, I'm sorry. I'm just behind. I'm terrible with email. I'm trying to get better. Please continue to reach out to us. Email's Um, hard. 
yeah, it's emails very hard. Uh, or on Twitter at GotWormPod. My personal Twitter is at ScottDaily85. And Matt's is at Mail. If you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world that podcasts can be found. And as always, you can find all the other shows we do over at our website, doofmedia.com. This comes the time once again where I ask you people if you've listened to Deep Impact yet. And if your answer is no, then my follow-up question is why? And if the answer is that you haven't read Pact, then my follow-up question is why? Why? (laughs) Go go do that. Um, Ruben and Elliot are doing a fantastic job analyzing that story. I'm really enjoying listening to their show. They're putting out two to three episodes a week covering those chapters. So there's plenty of content there for you guys. If you need more wild bow in your life, can't recommend it enough. They're great. They're over at our website too. You can find all the episodes there. So do that. Do it. Do it. Um, yeah. And if you like any of our shows and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash doof media. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Um, you know, last week we did, uh, um, uh, uh, the three body problem for our book club. Yeah. And, and that, that came out, um, next week we're, uh, sorry, next month we're doing Mistborn <gasps> for the book club, which apparently people say is good. <laughs> and, and um so uh that is the type of thing that you get access to it would be like voting for the book club books um yep. voting for the fan art contest winner um participating in q a sessions with us once a month access to live streams of our recording sessions and of course the discord chat where you can hang out with a lot of other uh pair humans fans and and folks of that stripe uh speaking of which special thanks to new bidoofs Viridian, Jameson S, Varanus S, and Tom C, all at the $1 level, and NMCS at the $4 level. We appreciate you all so much. And, Thank you. And new Doof Troop member, Ishamoridin at the $10 level. Um, yes, really good to see another another Wheel of Time old tongue user. Is that, is that what that was? I noticed the Moradin and I was like, oh, is that is that a Matt thing? Yes, it is. The, I, in fact, in fact, yes. Is it the same? Like, is the more is the is the, more is the end means, of theirs? More than means death. Oh, that's dark. Why is your name Death? I'm I've gonna ex- start calling you at Death. I've explained before. Matt's that, personal Twitter is at Death Email. I've explained before that that my my handle is is like what a 14 year old thinks is cool and then i stuck with it for the rest of my life hey matt you know i don't i'm not telling you how to live your life but you can change your twitter handle. sometimes you have to commit to your choices you don't have to though (laughs) it's too late scott it's too late for me but isha moradin is way better than moradin mail is what i'm getting at I mean, it's definitely more pronounceable for sure. Yeah. Look, I just did it. So welcome to the to the community, everyone. Uh, we appreciate y'all. And, you know, we just everyone, inadvertently insulted our patron's name. No, I did not mean to do that. Because no, it's much, not my intent. It's clearly it's clearly better than more than a male. No. Um, and as always, make sure you go over to Wildo's Patreon, patreon.com slash Wildo and donate to him as well, because this is his world. We're just playing in it. 
And of course, uh, if you cannot afford to donate right now, we completely understand. Uh, there are tons of ways to help us out. You can share your po- the podcast with everyone. Uh, if you guys follow us on Twitter, retweet the the episodes that we push out there when they come out. That really just it helps us like we don't do any marketing or anything. So all that helps us get exposure and have new people find the show um, and maybe find worm also, which is always cool. Um, You can also head on over to Apple podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. This week's spotlight review comes from Versius who gives us five stars and says, great way to read ever since that summer where I blazed through worm in less than a week. I literally did not stop reading until I was done. (laughs) Wow. I don't know how you would, that wow uh i love to read i don't know if i'm capable of doing that uh anyway i've been obsessed with the world of parahumans all of wildbo's works are incredible but worm and its sequel ward are complex dense pieces of fiction listening to matt and scott go through worm was nostalgic i teared up at some more emotional points me too me too their deaf summaries thoughtful analysis and genuine love for the works really shines listening to this podcast as a reward adds a level of depth to the depth to the experience that i cannot recommend enough thanks for all of your hard work guys thanks for you versius we really appreciate that and i you are incredible to read non a week there's so many words yeah, I don't know if I would even like something that I read in a week, but I mean, I probably did it in like two weeks, honestly. But. Sometimes I leave um, the book club book until the week before it's due, and I'm like frantically reading that yeah. to finish it in time and you for the it, book club. And you're like, I hate reading. I hate books. <laughs> yeah, and that's like a, a 250,000 word book, not a 1.6 million word book. Right, so right. dang, very impressive. Yeah. yeah. Thank and you. They, thank you so much for yeah. taking the time to leave that rating. And Thanks review. for the review. That always that's always really nice. Yeah. And that's it for this week's yeah, this week's show. Next week on the show, we will continue arc 13 black. It's interlude time. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Did I do that sound right? I'm not very you, good at it. Yeah, that's better. <laughs> <laughs>